Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Degnan. We're going to start off by meeting Harold Kiner, and he's going to tell us about bees. Harold, this is the first time that I've ever talked to anyone in depth about bees, probably because, and it's probably not a good thing to say to you, but they're not my favorite critters. Oh, come on. Yeah. So what can you tell me about bees? There's tons of them out there. Yes, there are tons of bees. I mean, the one that most everybody is associated with is the honeybee, uh, because the honeybee is used for pollination for many crops. Uh, honeybee was brought to this country back in 1620. Well, 1622 it came here, and it was shipped in 1621 in the fall on the, on the ships. That shipped? Shipped. Brought here? Brought here from the... Europe. So he's not a Native American. Nope. Honeybee is not a Native American bee. Okay. Uh, But there are, in Pennsylvania, there's over 450 native bees on record that they have found, and they're all named bees of, I don't know, all the Give me an example of one. Of one Pennsylvania bee. You got the mason bee, the blue orchard bee is the mason bee. What about the bumblebee? Well, the bumblebee is also a native bee. Here, to Pennsylvania? Yeah, to Pen- well, to the country. Oh, yes. okay. I mean, it's it's everywhere. But th- there are over 20,000 bees in the world, 20,000 different varieties of bees in the world. And do they all help with pollination? Pretty much, yes. Honeybee is a, it pollinates more so uh, one crop at a time. If it finds a nice group of flowers, it goes to that flower because they tell each other it's a, they're a social, social community. Many of the native bees are, I shouldn't say antisocial, but they're, they're bees that work by themselves. One bee lays her eggs, puts food with that egg, and that egg hatches, eats that food, and then goes out and does the same thing. Uh, where honeybees, you have a queen in the hive, you've got in the middle of the summer, you've got 40,000, 50,000 worker bees, and approximately 5 to 10% of those are male bees. In one hive? In one hive. In a, in a good, strong hive in the middle of the summer, yes. Because wow. they, they build up from the time that uh, spring comes around and the honey flow, st- I shouldn't say honey flow, nectar flow begins. And uh, as the better the flow, the more bees will be there because there's more food for the the bees to feed to the Back babies. into the hive. Yes. So when we're talking about bees, how can we tell the difference between, I, I know the difference between a bumblebee because they're big. Yes. And a honeybee is kind of small and yellow kind of, yeah. but how would you know? Would, it, would you know by what they go after? No, uh, because honeybees will uh, pollinate the same thing that many native bees do. Uh, it's just your native bees. It's the way they 
They don't actually have a hive. Uh, you can make a nest for mason bees. Make it out of a box or a coffee can and some paper straws because they like to put their eggs into a a long tube. So you could do that at your house? Yes. Anyway. And invite that they just know that and invite yeah, them in? in time, yes. Now they need they need some water. They need a little bit of mud because that that's what they use to uh, break up each cell. They use a little pack of mud and then the, the new bee chews its way through the mud and goes out and does its thing. Wow. Now for pollination. You have an aviary. Apiary. Apiary. Yes. Apiary. Apiaries are birds. That's all. That's That's okay. That's okay. It's not the first time. (laughs) Well, good. At least I know I'm one of many. (laughs) Well, this the the what you have. How do you know where to start with something? Because I know that there are some beekeepers. There are quite a few in our area. But if if somebody listening said. I'm interested in making something like that for these little mason bees. I'd like to have some. How do you get started in something like that? Well, there's a lot of information online as far as mason bee nests go. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can make fancy ones out of wood, but you use a paper straw. They don't like plastic. Uh, and you use different size straws because the mason bee is one. The leaf cutter bee likes a different size straw. You can usually get away with two different size straws. Uh, mason bees will make their nest in almost any little hole they can find. Do you have any of them? Yes. And where did Harold come up with the idea that he wanted to have a world of bees? Well, we used to have a small nursery. I started it before I retired from my full-time work. And, well, when I retired, we got the honeybees, and they've kind of taken over my life in a sense because, in in a sense, they're addicting. Because you've got one or two hives and you split them into four. Uh, and you can, right now, there's approximately 30 hives in our, up behind our barn. Last year, we had almost 50 by the end of the summer. But you lose bees over the winter. Uh, this is one of the problems for the bees is that they, uh, there's mites out there that carry diseases. And... Uh, and they then it's not just for the honeybees; they affect bumblebees and uh, even wasps and yellow jackets. Mm. Yellow jackets, I don't care what you do with yellow jackets. <laughs> I was going to ask you about them too, but they, they, are they, they a cousin to the bee? No, they're no? they're from a different. I mean, oh. they are from the the same strain. Um, I don't know all the breakdown, but they are from the same strain, if you want to call it Hymenoptera. And there's they seem to be a little nastier, yes. than the bees, yes. Honey or yellow jackets, they'll they'll attack for no reason really. Ah. Honeybees, they only attack to protect themselves. Oh, uh, or to protect their hive. And I mean, they don't really attack in a sense. I mean, if by chance you pinch a honeybee, first she'll vibrate, so she knows you're there. But if you don't let her go or you pinch her too hard, she'll sting you. Well, yeah. <laughs> the, the big thing when a honeybee stings is she actually leaves her stinger in you. So. You'd know if it was a honeybee, but you want to get it out as quickly as possible because as she pulls away, it leaves a venom sac with ah. the stinger. So you don't want to squeeze that little sack to pull it out. You want to scrape it away with your fingernail or something like, like a credit card. Um, Is that what causes it, the, um, the the person who might be allergic to it? Is that Well, the venom the is venom? what does that, but 
yellow jackets and wasps, they can, um, they can sting you multiple times. They don't have a barbed stinger. Mm. See, honeybee doesn't want to sting you because she's going to die. When she stings and she pulls away, it pulls part of her insides out when that venom sac comes out. So it's just a... If they could see the look on my face right now, all of a sudden I feel really bad for her. Yeah. So they <laughs> sometimes they get there and they don't even realize what they're doing. No, no, very true. Um, now, where did just, you get your first honeybees? Is this something that you send away for in the catalog? You, and, you can send away for them. You can um, get them from. Sometimes you can get them locally. The best bees you can get are usually local because if they've overwintered. Uh, many of the bees that you get come from Georgia, California, because they can keep bees alive down oh. there because their winter is much shorter. So there's more food for the bees to, to grow. And they you can buy packages of bees. You can buy what they call nucleus colonies, which are usually a four or five frame box of bees with a laying queen. Mm. A package of bees is just a, about three pounds of bees in a box with a queen in a cage. And she's basically not related to those bees. Those bees have been shaken from other hives into this box. And then she's placed in there in the cage to ship her or to ship that package to wherever it's going. And there's a process of getting her to know what, uh, or to have the bees accept her. You leave her in her cage for three, four days, and some cages have sugar candy in one end. And the bees from inside chew on it, bees from outside chew on it, and they release her oh. that way. But by then, they've picked up her pheromones, and they're used to her, and they'll 99 times out of 100, they'll accept her. Can you track bees if you if they're coming from all these different places? Would you be able to put a mark somewhere or you can't? Yes, you can You can mark bees. There's a gentleman up in New York that does a lot of that. Uh, Tom Seeley works uh, with Cornell and he has tracked bees to find, he does a lot of work with feral bees in trees and that's how he'll, he'll grab bees and he'll mark them. And then what they do is they actually time how long it takes the bee to go back and forth from like a floral source, or they'll even put out sugar water, and they'll time, and they can tell approximately how far away the the hive is, and then the direction that the bee flew. Because bees fly pretty much in a straight line if they can. I mean, yes, they'll go around things, but they they use as the crow flies pretty much. But um, point A to point B, the hive yes. back to where they are, and where. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something interesting interesting there about going and touching and you do a lot of that yes it's you get in the you get in there with them yes yes i mean why uh, <laughs> well you have to manage the bees i mean and you're looking at least once every two weeks you want to go in and look for uh eggs and if you can see the queen that's great but if you see eggs you know the queen is still alive the queen because you can actually hurt the queen and the bees will kill her and try to replace her uh, because if she's injured, she may not be able to lay enough eggs, and which she can lay. A good queen can lay 1,500 eggs a day. Wow. Uh, so that's about every 21 days, that's 
1,500 new bees. That's how you get to that 40, 50,000 bees by midsummer. Wow. Uh, if you've got a good, good colony, good queen, I mean, it builds fast. Wow. And it's funny because you can have two sitting side by side, and um, the one, one builds up fast and the other is kind of, eh, let's just hang out. Uh, and we'll, we'll manage, we'll get by, even though the queen is laying, but they don't. Because everything is, it's all tied together. It's a social group. And the queen kind of controls things with her pheromones, but the bees also control because if they're not bringing in food, she's not laying eggs. Ah. So, I mean. So what's it like when you have to, and I know you've done this in our area, because there have been some very unusual places that bees will swarm. Yes. And you go in there, and there's you know pictures that we see just incredible, but you well, do that. <laughs> bees will swarm. Um, they'll go to a temporary location, usually in a tree. And uh, sometimes it's down low. Sometimes it's up too high to get to, unless you've got... Uh, specialized equipment to be able to get up there. If I can get to them from a six-foot ladder, um, I'll go get the the bees out of a tree. Or what whatever. are you wearing? A suit. You wear. You, know, you can wear a full suit. Or you, I have a jacket with a veil. I'll, I always recommend wearing a veil. There's some people that don't because they. But then you see their pictures on Facebook and as such, and their eyes swollen shut because they've been stung in the face. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, if a bee somehow gets in there, you can't get that veil off fast enough to make sure that she's not in there Wow! to get her away. I mean, because I don't want to get stung in the face. It's stung in the hands lots. It's stung in the, the legs. Sometimes it helps my knees because they say apotherapy is good for You're arthritis. Right. I was going to ask you about that. I'm yeah. glad you mentioned That's that. That's one thing that they do is <laughs> I mean, people will sting themselves because it, it helps with pain sometimes. Wow. So... See, uh, now, at at your business, do you sell honey? Yes. I just can't imagine walking up and saying, well, Harold, I'd like some of Queen 2's honey today and Queen 3, the ne- or, well, or does it all kind of go basically, together? Basically, all of our honey goes together. We've got uh, a, what I call a spring wildflower and a fall wildflower. The spring wildflower is, of course, from the, the spring, early summer flowers, and it's a lighter color where the fall is a darker honey. And it comes from the, well, goldenrod, asters, and some of uh, the Japanese knotweed. Uh, Japanese knotweed makes a great honey, a real sweet tasting. How do you know what bees are eating what? Well, you don't. That's why I, I just consider mine. Um, What's local? Yes, basically oh. wildflower honey. Um, if you've got, say you take your bees to pollinate an apple orchard, you can consider it apple uh, apple honey because they're bringing back some nectar from those flowers and they're doing that for a couple weeks so you pull you can pull those frames of honey and you could consider it apple apple honey wow Um, there's there's a lot i mean there's many different varieties of honey but i don't i don't move my bees my bees all stay behind the house uh, because it's just there's a lot of time involved in moving them i always have to be moved at night because the bees don't that way when they get up in the morning uh you don't want to confuse them (laughs) right you're not confusing them as much they have to orient toward their new location 
and there are many people that move bees. That's what that's how they make their living. Oh, commercial beekeepers. They're I mean, in the in February, there's approximately two million hives moved to California to pollinate the almond trees. From where? All over the country. They come, how they, trucks on trucks? Yep, on trucks. Are they are they cooled? Nope, nope. no. They that's they drive at night. They're netted so to keep the bees in, but they they do most of their driving at night. And sometimes they'll drive straight through. They'll have two fellows in the cab, and they'll drive straight through. Because, well, February is not too bad temperature-wise. But uh, still, I mean, once they get out to the southwest, it can get hot. Oh, there. absolutely. And that and, was going uh, to be one of the other questions I asked you, too, because we mentioned about the difference in the winter time and and. Do you bring yours inside no. in the winter? No. They, Does your wife Alice like say, Harold, no, it's yeah. coming October, we're well, not bringing the bees in? She will say that because I, <laughs> I told her, I said, let's put an observation hive in the living room. And she <gasps> told me no. <laughs> they used to have one of those. I don't even know if they still do at the Everhart Museum in Scranton. It's possible. With I the honeybees in the basement. That mm-hmm. I was fascinated. Yeah. That's why when I got had the opportunity to talk to you, I jumped on this. That's See, great. When they... If, if you bring them inside where it's warm, they would want to go out. And Well, this, uh, had, a, this had an in and an out yes, to it. But yeah. what I'm saying, they would want to go out and they'd go out and uh, they, don't, they don't normally fly below uh, 50 degrees. Oh, I mean, you'll see, see. you'll see some out in colder temperatures, but a lot of them go out and they can't get back because their, their muscles get too cold, their wing muscles, so they can't fly back. So you've spent a lot of time being a bee person, a beekeeper, what would you like to be able to leave our audience with for those of us who are mm, a little bee suspicious? <laughs> well, don't, don't be afraid of a honeybee. I mean, they're not going to sting you on purpose. I mean, uh, there's always that chance. But just because you get stung doesn't mean it was a honeybee, so don't blame a honeybee. And if you're interested in... Uh, the bees. You can always contact me. Uh, there's a Facebook page, Kiner's Apiary or Luzerne County Beekeepers Association. And um, best thing to do is do a lot of reading. If you want to be a beekeeper, you got to, in my opinion, you got to do some studying before you start it. You don't just put the bees in a box and hope that they manage. But I always tell new beekeepers, the bees don't read the books that we read because bees do what they want to do. I mean, they know what to do, and they they control the hive. I mean, we just try to manage them. Don't go away. More special edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. It's that time of the year, colds, flu, and allergies. Dawn Webster is a physician's assistant and assistant director of MedExpress in Pittsburgh, and she's here to tell us, how do you know? Is it a cold or is it an allergy? One of the ways to know is essentially if you're running a fever. If you're running a fever, it is not an allergy. It's most likely a cold. So when we're talking about a fever... I guess we're, you know, but we still have the sneezing. We still have the, so what happens if we're just doing that and we're not running a fever? Now we're back to square one again. Yes, yes. So if you're ever not sure, you can always get seen by a medical provider. We can evaluate you. Um, 
and do our best to kind of figure it out. Um, but really, the biggest difference is, um, besides that fever, is going to be the duration. So if you are suffering from allergy symptoms, they are going to last weeks to months um, because you're being exposed to that allergen. Um, however, cold symptoms typically only last, you know, a few days to two weeks at the longest. So what happens if it's something like an allergy to dust mites or, you know, something where you can't see it because a lot of times when we think of opening the windows, we've got pollen, it's flying through the air. So how do you know what you're allergic to when sometimes these things like dust mites can happen all year long? I mean, really, the only way to know for sure is to get allergy tested, Um if you're not able to do that or you haven't done that, you can look at when you have your symptoms. So if you get your symptoms really in the spring when you do start opening your windows and start going outside and the weather gets nicer, then it probably is um, an airborne allergen like pollen that comes from outside that's carried by the wind. Um, other examples would be, you know, tree allergies or grasses or um, weeds. Um People that are allergic to those things typically don't have the severe allergy symptoms in the winter, whereas people that are allergic to the indoor allergies like molds and dust mites um, or animal dander, those are the ones that we really see have the majority of their symptoms in the winter when you are indoors with the windows closed and the doors closed. What happens when you've mentioned this now a few times, getting an allergy test? Sounds very sure. daunting, could sound yeah. a little bit scary. Yes. So the most accurate allergy tests are um, skin tests. So essentially what they do is they use um, a very concentrated form of that allergen in a liquid, and they will use your skin, and they will put a drop of that liquid on your skin and then use a teeny tiny needle and, and prick your skin. They will wait a certain amount of time, and if your skin has a reaction, you are allergic to it. That is the most accurate way to do allergy testing, and if you can imagine, that would be very difficult to do in a child or a toddler or someone who's not able to sit or lie still for a long period of time. So they have developed some other allergy testing, um, you know, blood tests and whatnot, but um, the the current school of thought is that those aren't quite as accurate as that you know, old-fashioned, tried-and-true skin testing. When you do something like that, then, Dawn, as far as, you know, you you mentioned that it's on the skin, um, I guess, how do you do that with something like um, pollen? Sure. So they have liquids of everything. I mean, they, they, I don't know how they do it, but they somehow get, you know, pollen particles, and mix it in a liquid, and, and they have this concentrated form. So they have um, essentially the, the liquids to test you to everything, even the airborne ones like dust mites and animal dander. That just sounds like it would be, as you mentioned, you know, toddlers, but even for grown-ups as well. Right. Because when you do something like that, does it immediately happen? Or do you have to wait a little while? Or do you have well, to you do, do it again? Well, you do have to wait. Yeah, because if you have a severe allergy, it's going to react right away. and You're going to get what they call a, like a wheel in your skin, which is a red raised area. 
But if you only have a little bit of a reaction, it's going to take longer to mount that immune response. So they may have you lay there for, you know, 30 minutes, an hour. I'm, I'm honestly not sure how long, you know, that they will give it total, but it definitely can take some time. When would someone be a candidate for that? Because I would think that as people, you know, the seasons change and well, now in the spring I have this, but then in the winter I don't have that. So how would you know whether you would be someone who would be a candidate, especially in your area where you're not seeing someone necessarily, you know, regularly throughout the year, but they come in with these symptoms is that something that you would suggest to go to? And, and who would you go to? To answer who would you go to, you would go to an, um, an allergy specialist, um, an allergist. Essentially, what we, we do at MedExpress or at an urgent care or even a family doctor is we'll try antihistamines. So there's multiple antihistamines. But the good news is most of them treat you um, no matter what the allergen is. So you can take a Claritin or a Zyrtec or an Allegra, and it's going to help with both indoor and outdoor allergies. So it doesn't matter essentially what's causing it. It's going to help. Now, if you're taking these and they're not helping or they helped for a while and they're just not helping anymore, then that, that is when you may be a good candidate to actually go get tested and see exactly what it is that you are allergic to. But a lot of times, we don't just jump right to the testing. We'll try some antihistamines first. Dawn, anything that we've left out as far as these nasty allergies are concerned? Because, boy, they can really plague you any time of the year. <laughs> really, the only other thing I'd like to mention, maybe, is to help um, prevent them. Um, because, you know, people don't want to have to deal with them if they don't have to. So, again, if you kind of know which ones seem to be worse for you, um, like if they seem to be worse for you in the winter months when you are stuck inside, then you probably are allergic to the molds or the dust mites um, or the animal danders. So you can work on reducing those in your house. So for the dust mites, you know, you can get um, mattress covers and pillow covers to help reduce those numbers that you're coming in contact with. Or if you do have um, some animals in the house and you're thinking it may be their dander, they have special washes and wipes you can actually, you know, clean your animals with to reduce the, the dander on them. Um, and if it's the outside ones, if you notice in the spring or as soon as you start going outside and opening your windows that, you know, those are when you have your symptoms, then you can do things like um, install um, air-conditioned filters to help filter that air um, that comes into your house. You can um, use the over-the-counter antihistamines, and you can also do things like um, saline nasal sprays to kind of help clear them out of your nasal passages, especially if you're going to be outside all day when you come in, kind of do that and rinse everything out of there. Thanks once again to Dawn Webster, physician's assistant and assistant medical director at MedExpress in Pittsburgh, for giving us some good advice and the difference between allergies and a cold. And also, a quick reminder, the Pennsylvania Department of Health would like you to know that there's still time for you to get your flu shot. There is still plenty of the flu season left to go, so if you have the opportunity, might want to do it sooner rather than later. 
Now, don't go away. More special edition coming up, and we are going to head into the great outdoors with PennDOT next. You have the right to feel safe in your home. This includes the right under federal fair housing laws to be free from unwanted sexual conduct. I'm United States Attorney David Freed. The Department of Justice wants you to know that if you have been sexually harassed by a landlord or property manager, a loan officer or housing official, a maintenance worker or security guard, you can do something about it. Contact us at 844-380-6178 or email fairhousing at usdoj.gov. You have rights under the Fair Housing Act. Call 844-380-6178 or email fairhousing at usdoj.gov. Everyone has the right to feel safe at home. Is someone you love abusing opioid medications? It may not be easy to tell, especially in the early stages of addiction. Perhaps you've noticed changes in your loved one's moods or behavior. People who are addicted to opioids may still hold down jobs and other responsibilities, maintaining the appearance of stability at work and home. Recovery starts with a call. Call 1-800-662-HELP or visit battlingopioids.org. Welcome back to Special Edition. And in this new year, by the way, if you have someone that you know, or maybe even yourself, who has something that they would like everyone to know about, send me an email, Reynolds at intercom.com. That's Reynolds at intercom, E-N-T-E-R-C-O-M.com. I can get in touch with you. And we'll set something up and have you as a guest on one of our special editions. Speaking of guests, it's time to get ready to head outdoors with James May of PennDOT. James May is here, and you know what that means. It must be... Winter. Winter. Oh. Or spring or summer. They say that, <laughs> that we, we go from the construction season to winter in northeastern Pennsylvania. So there's always something PennDOT related. We've had a few of those days where we've had a little bit of icing, especially in the higher elevations. We did. And, you know, one of the things I was talking with somebody about that is... Early on in the year is when you have the temperatures that start off at about 35, 37, and it will rain, and then overnight it drops down to below freezing, and, and that turns into ice, obviously, at that point. And so you have a condition where, you know, one hour it might be just wet raining on the road and an hour later it's ice, or in one location you might have water on the road and 20 miles down the road, you'll have ice on the road. So or nothing. The, or nothing on the road, exactly. Because when winter is here, everybody knows, okay, there's snow on the ground, I need to slow down, I need to be careful, and we're sort of in that mindset. Going down the road at 45 miles an hour, not thinking about anything else, and all of a sudden a deer jumps out in front of you or you hit a patch of black ice, and, and we're not as aware of it as we might normally be under typical wintry conditions. Let's talk a little bit about those doe deers. What happens if you hit a deer or a deer hits you? Do you have to make a police report? Uh, What do you do with the deer? What happens? I thought for sure your question was going to be, why are there those red dots on some of the deer? That's probably the most (laughs) typical deer question that I get, is is why, who puts those there? Why are they there? So that's that's the direction I thought that you were going. Go ahead, answer that first. 
first because I'm those, curious. Those are actually landing zones that we have set up. Casey needs to come down and, and you know feed the reindeer before he makes his way to children's homes. So it's not a deer crossing sign. It's a deer it's a landing, landing zone for Santa zone Claus. Sign. Yes, it oh, is. Yep, okay. that's exactly what All those right. are. So uh, there you go. Official from PennDOT. Those are reindeer landing zones. All right. Well, I did. I never knew that. Thank you, James. You're welcome. Thanks for You're stopping welcome. By. So to, to answer your question, so depending on the nature of of how bad the damage is, you know, if you have damage where you're going to be returning it into your insurance company, in that case is when you would probably need to call either a tow truck or, you know, to file a police report on something like that. Um, PennDOT will come along and pick up deer that are alongside the road. So if you see a deer out there or if there's a deer that you've hit, you can call 1-800-FIX-ROAD and we will come out and pick up deer. We don't pick up any other smaller animals, rabbits or woodchucks. We get calls sometimes on those. Those, we just sort of, nature will take care of those and other animals will come and pull those off. We also don't pick up larger animals like a bear. That would be the game commission that you would have to call them out for that. But for deer specifically, we have a contractor who goes out and we'll pick up the deer. Um, they do need to be in the PennDOT right-of-way. I don't say that to tell people to pull the deer out <laughs> because actually that has happened. We can normally tell because we see the, the trail that you've pulled it from your front yard um, out to the road for us to pick up. Don't do that. But if the deer has been hit and it's there alongside the road uh, in the right-of-way or right off the road, uh, we will come out and pick that up or our contractor will. That is... Uh that I've never heard of that before. But then again, I never heard of the red nose being a Santa landing. Uh, you zone. had not heard of what? Of people dragging the deer? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It, yeah, so we do. Because what will happen is people will hear me say that, that PennDOT comes out and picks up the deer that's in, in the right of way. And the deer gets hit and it sort of stumbles its way and now it's sitting near their front yard. And we say, no, for that, you need to call the game commission. That's not, uh, that we don't go into people's yards or into the woods to get, get deer. And so we'll go out and we can see very clearly that somebody took this deer and dragged it out to the road and said, hey, there's a deer out by the road. Come pick it up. And so don't do that. Just call the game commission on those. But if it's out by the side of the road, you can call PennDOT. Okay. And that number again is 1-800-FIX-ROAD. And let me say, that is the what we were talking before about ice and black ice on the road and those conditions. That is also the, the number that you would call for specific road problems or conditions. Now, don't just call and say, hey, it's snowing in Susquehanna County. We typically know that. You don't call that number just to report, hey, I think that you know Interstate 81 needs to be made three lanes. This is for if you see a pothole somewhere or specifically black ice. If there's a, an area where maybe there's some drainage issue, water coming down and freezing on the road, you can call 1-800-FIX-ROAD and that will take you right to the county and we can get somebody out to look at that specific location. Let's talk a little bit more about that black ice issue because as you mentioned in the very beginning, your speed and coming up upon it. And in our area, when you mention Interstate 81, there are many areas like that, especially if you're going through a rock cut. Through rock cuts or over bridges, anywhere that the, the sun cannot get down onto. And so if we went out just north of Dunmore and cut back some trees, part of the reason that we do that is we don't want them growing up and blocking the signs, but we also don't want them to eventually get so large that they're going to end up causing shade down onto the road. So And that will happen. And, and it's not just that we want the sun to get down onto the road during the winter. It, it does help with the melting of snow and things. But um, it, just with getting the water off the road in the summertime and spring, 
we, we always want roads to have a lot of sunlight coming down on them just for the, the health of the road to keep it dry. And so that's what we were up there a couple months ago, um, cutting down small trees and branches and, and things on uh, 81 for that reason. So yeah, anytime that you're going through an area that has a lot of tree cover over, and that would probably be more out in the country where if you, you'll see these areas where there's a lot of trees and there's a lot of shade down there, um, that will have a, a lot more black ice. Any area that, um, like on bridges, though, they always Why? see the sun. Uh, something with the, with the way the air can get down underneath the bridge and, uh-huh. and that it, it's, it's sitting there in the middle. It doesn't have that sort of insulation around it like a, a typical road would have. So you, you always see the signs, bridge freezes before road. Um, mm-hmm. That's always the case. And then anywhere, you know, one of the greatest things about living in northeastern Pennsylvania is that we're just, we have so many hills and valleys and mountains and streams and, and uh, it, it's one of the most beautiful things about living in Pennsylvania is the amount of water and mountains and valleys that we have. But that also means that at the bottom of those valleys or on areas where there's a lot of water that flows and, and mountains, that's when you'll get the, the water coming down. So um, again, I, I remind people that if, if there's an area where there's a drainage issue and you see water that's flowing out onto the road. Let us know about that because we don't want that to eventually be flowing onto the road and freezing. So just be very, very careful of those areas, mountains, valleys, um, bridges, and anywhere that has a lot of shade over top of it. And again, when we talk about things like that, it wasn't too long ago that there was a morning, especially when you get start to get into the higher elevations. And in our area, a lot of times you don't realize that. Because as you're going from one area to another, it's not like it's a big woof upgrade. It might be a steady progression from uh, from Lackawanna County into Susquehanna County, for example. Right. It's not like you go out and you say, okay, now I'm going to start climbing this mountain, or, you know, Mount Everest, or right. where it's obvious that you're going up a hill, Pikes Peak or something. Uh, yeah, it, we don't even realize the, the difference in elevation from one area to, to another. And we don't think about the difference in going from Susquehanna County to Luzerne County, just in the amount of snowfall that those areas get. I mean, elevation is different, but just being farther north and the weather patterns... Um, when you're up into sort of the Bradford, Susquehanna County, many times they get more of the lake effect coming from the west, and from down south you'll get more of the the ocean and, and coming from the south. So it's just different weather patterns that we have. And again, because we're not Iowa or Indiana where it's all flat, the, the weather pattern has just changed dramatically. I, I, I'm always amazed if, if you're coming up the turnpike, how many times you'll go through the tunnel and on one side of the tunnel, it'll be raining and you get to the other side, it's like, oh, look, there's a rainbow. It's sunny. It's, it's like just mm-hmm. the, that distance there because you have a mountain in between. And so, yeah, the weather patterns really change a lot in this area. So, And it's a reminder that just because you go out of your, your driveway and it's sunny and dry and the, the moisture on the ground is wet and flowing, it might be that 20 minutes down the road, it might be ice and snowy or 20 minutes later. So really be careful when you're out there. The snow will fall, as you mentioned before, and you will see it out there that the roads are not clear. Correct. However, PennDOT does make it clear that you keep them passable. Passable, Yes. Explain that. Well, in part, that's just the reality of what we're able to do. So we know full well that there's 8,500 snow lay miles just here in District 4. So when I I say District 4, that's six counties in northeastern Pennsylvania, Lackawanna, Luzerne, Pike, Susquehanna, Wayne, and Wyoming. So in those six counties where I am the press director for, 
there's 8,500 snow lane miles, meaning if you would take, and by snow lane miles, I mean like Interstate 81 will have two snow, we have to plow it twice because there's two lanes. So there's two northbound, two southbound, plus the on-ramps, off-ramps. If you would take all those roads, stretch them out in one long road, it would go from here to Anchorage, Alaska, and back. So it's a lot of roadway. So part of it is just the reality that, you know, when we have 200 and something trucks out there covering 8,500 snow lane miles, there's no way that we could ever keep every snow lane clear all the time. And many times what's happening is as soon as we go through and plow it, right behind the truck, it's snowing again. And if it's snowing two inches an hour, that means by the time he makes his three-hour journey, it typically is, and he gets back there, there will be six inches of snow on the ground again so part of it is just the reality other times though they look and they determine that the best course of action is to leave some snowpack on the ground and to cover it with what's called anti-skid because it, and you probably see this on your driveway if you go out many times you just scrape it it's left with a real fine very slick um, packed down moisture, ice, snow, and that becomes very, very slick. And so you go out as opposed to if you're walking through the snow and you've sort of shoveled a, a lot of it off. You don't have 14 inches you know, going out to the car, but then if you put sand down or something, it's much easier. So sometimes they will actually go through and they'll actually raise the blade just a little bit to keep that on there, put some um, anti-skid, it's called, it's basically gravel and rock and sand, and put that down on top of it, and that gives better traction for the cars. Because it almost sounds like like if you didn't do that, you've created black ice, which is what we already exactly, talked about. Exactly, yeah. Because if the, if the plow cannot get off every bit of the snow, which oftentimes it can't, then, yeah, what it's doing is packing it down and, and really creating that. Uh, again, I go back to people with your driveway, and, and people can sort of relate to their driveway or their sidewalk because they've had that condition where you go out and you think, oh, I'm going to get as much off as I can, and you're left with a, a half an inch out there, and then cars go over it, and it packs it down, and you realize, wow, this is really, really slick at this point because the, the little bit out there is more slick even. You know, if it's, if it's 14 inches, you can't get through it. If it's a half an inch that's packed down tight, it just becomes a sheet of ice. And I don't have any cat litter or rock salt <laughs> right. or ashes anymore yes, yes. in order to put out there. Yep. Let's talk about plow trucks because, again, um, people will say, well, I just drove down Interstate 81 and I saw a plow truck and the plow truck didn't have his plow down. And what's he doing out there? And he's sitting along the side of the road. Sitting along the side of the road is, is normally the most common uh, feedback that we get. Um, I, my district executive, I heard him say the other day that when he sees a plow sitting along, alongside the, of the road, before a snowstorm, that's the best place it can be. Because what we want, and we learned this from the, the infamous Valentine's Day storm a number of years ago, if we ever find ourselves in a position where we get behind a storm or even behind a, a specific road with a crash, it is really tough to play catch up. Because what happens is all the traffic backs up. We cannot get our plows to where they, we need to get them to clear. We can't get the tow trucks there because the traffic is backed up. And, and the because, snow's there. And because we can't get them there, the traffic continues to, to pile up and, and it becomes this, pardon the pun, this snowball effect mm -hmm. of, you know, we can't get our plows there, so they're stuck and they're stuck because we can't get our plows there. So we have... have we always try to err on the side of getting the plow trucks out there earlier um, in order to make sure that they're there, pre-positioned, ready to go. If if the weather forecast was an exact down-to-the-minute science that we could say, beginning at 627, 
on Interstate 81 at mile marker 182.6. It will begin snowing at that location at this time. Well, then we could send them out different different times. But, you know, we have a general sense, and so we always try to err on the side of getting them out there ahead of time for that reason. And you now have an app, in case anyone isn't familiar with that, where you can track your plow truck. 511pa.com or the app, you can go and actually... Yeah, look, and, and we have, it's called AVL, Automatic Vehicle Locators, in every one of our trucks now, and you can go and see where the trucks are, where they've been. Um, it, I use that personally because many times people will call me, and this just happened in the last storm, somebody called me up and said, hey, a plow never went by my house. And I can, you know, go on 511. I say, well, ma'am, uh, an hour and a half ago, a plow went by your house. Um, now, again, what happened is it's snowing right now. So after it went by, it was still snowing on the ground. And but, you weren't awake that to see that. Uh, you, yes, <laughs> it, it went by at 3 o'clock in the morning. And um, so, uh, so, yeah, uh, so you can always go on there. So for that, it, it helps us. And it also helps at the, the stockpile so that the crews can see where the, the uh, trucks are and to be ready to go so that they come back and they say, okay, there's a truck that's on its way in. Let's have the salt ready to go to keep them moving. But we're always looking to see different ways that we can improve on what we're doing. I think it was last year, maybe the year before, one of the things that we started doing was in the real heavy snowstorms, if a truck is off the road for 15 minutes, you know, when you're talking about snow coming down at the rate that it does sometimes, just what it took for, you know, let's say that there's a truck that's that's working 20 miles away from the stockpile. Whenever we do this, the shift change, that truck would drive back to the stockpile and we would change drivers out and the next driver would start going for his 12 hours and we just, you know, you, you make the shift at the stockpile. We were losing time doing that. And so what we've started doing many times with the real heavy snows is we will actually drive the next driver out to the location where that that first driver is and do the shift change there because that way we're not bringing the truck back. So that's one of the things that we've done to try to improve just the transition period. But uh, you mentioned before also about, you know, why do we see trucks driving um, that won't have their plow down? Again, what happens is there's a centralized stockpile. So we have one right here in Pittston. The the stockpile here in Pittston services a whole large section of uh, central northern Luzerne County here. So many of the trucks that leave here are going somewhere else, and we don't want them to waste all their material and put everything down on, you know, they're, they're not doing 315 right outside of, of the, the uh, station here. So they might be doing somewhere down in, you know, Shikshini or someplace like that. So they have to get back to where they're going. And that's why you'll see them many times where they're not spreading, they're not putting anything down um, because of where they're heading to. Or it might be based upon the nature of the storm. Um, sometimes they'll put their plows down and not be spreading because if it's going to rain, it just washes it away. So there's typically a reason for why they're doing what they're doing. All right. We're going to talk trucks and PennDOT made an announcement about we, trucks and snowstorms. Take it away. <laughs> we did, yeah. We got a lot of feedback on that. It was very interesting. Um, you probably remember that over the last few years, PennDOT has been very, very proactive in banning trucks during snowstorms. I think in the last two or three years, we've probably done that more than I had seen in, in the previous years that I've been with PennDOT. Um, we started getting feedback from the trucking industry, and one of the things that they started asking for was for more notice, as much notice as we can give on that. So we, we've been trying to give them more notice. They also asked if we would come along and try to sort of be more location specific in where we do that. So we don't say Pennsylvania now has banning trucks. We will say, okay, Pennsylvania from Interstate 80 north because it's snowing here and it's not snowing in Pittsburgh. So we're trying to be more location specific. 
new policy that will be going in place this year. It's really a pilot program. Other states have done this. We want to see how well it works here. Instead of just banning the trucks outright from the very beginning, we're saying, okay, during certain storms, we're going to let the trucks go, but if we're at a 45-mile-an-hour restriction on any of the interstates, the trucks have to remain in the right-hand lane going 45 miles an hour. So it's sort of that compromise between just telling the trucks go out and, and you're welcome to drive however you want and us banning trucks. We came up with this sort of in-between step in which we say, okay, before we just come out and, and just ban trucks, we're going to let you continue to go, but we don't want you passing. The reason for that is because, and many times truck drivers are some of the safest drivers. However, when they're in crashes, one, it's typically much more fatal for other people, but then it ends up tying up the interstate in a way that no cars ever do because everything then becomes stopped. In order for us to get that truck off the road, we have to get a specialized uh, uh, tow truck in there to get it off. Many times we're cleaning stuff up off the road, and when all the traffic stops and it sits for an hour, two hours or more, then you were in this situation where every car then is frozen, it's stuck there, and it just that's what causes the 10-hour delays on the interstate. So this is sort of a compromise policy that we've come up with with the trucking industry. We work with them closely on this, and it's hopefully gonna be a way that we'll be able to keep commerce moving, but we wanna do so in a way that is safe. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.